using your marketplace selling as a way to get new customers. You're listening to the Keep Optimizing Podcast to increase your traffic, improve your conversion rates, and grow your profits. Hello and welcome. I'm Chloe Thomas, the host of this marketing-focused podcast. If you're not familiar with our format, each month we usually focus on a different marketing method, but this month we're doing marketplaces. And each week I interview a different marketing method expert to explore the latest advice on making it work for you. This month, we've got just three episodes on our chosen topic because we're going to be giving the last episode of the month over two tips about Black Friday. Yes, that's coming around again already. But in this episode, we're exploring using marketplaces as a bit of a marketing method and how you can go about it to get new customers. Now, obviously, there is a fair amount in this too about how to grow sales on marketplaces. And we're definitely far more interested in interesting niche opportunities of marketplaces, not just Amazon and eBay. Whole pile of great tips coming up in this episode, not least about how to save your time and sanity when managing multiple marketplaces. We're going to meet today's guest expert in a moment, but before we do, please do check out our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the email and SMS platform built just for e-commerce brands. If you're marketing an e-commerce brand, you already know that data changes everything. More data means more power. And if your email or SMS tools can't handle all that data, they're probably holding you back. That's where Klaviyo comes in. Its top-notch personalization and segmentation help you send the right message at the right time, guided by unlimited real-time data from your online store and tech stack. Request a demo at klaviyo.com forward slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. Today, I'm chatting with Marketplace's expert, Jesse Rag. Jesse lives deep in product data for marketplaces. As co-founder and managing director at eChameleon, he's busy making the process of getting your product data ready much more automated, so you can distribute to multiple marketplaces globally much more easily. Hello, Jesse. Hi, Chloe. Thanks for having me. I'm used to hearing your voice in my ears. It's nice to be able to talk back to you. Uh, well, is it though? <laughs> we'll <laughs> we see. shall see. <laughs> How did you get into marketplaces? Um, I landed in e-commerce and, and, and marketplaces quite randomly. I, I moved to Leipzig in Germany. Uh, without a word of German to my name. So I was really looking for the first German or the first English-speaking job I could find. And it just so happened to be at a marketplace agency uh, where we were helping retailers to expand internationally via marketplaces. And I was heading up the sales team there. Uh, this was back in 2015. So I think seven years in e-commerce is is probably 15 years in most other industries. So um, <laughs> yeah, I've seen quite a lot of change already in that little bit of time. But yeah. Yeah. Marketplaces has changed, I think, hugely in about the last three years. It feels like now everybody has a marketplace. And I seem certainly at the beginning of this year, I was being contacted by more people who just started a marketplace than I think any other genre, even FBA, um, you know, get rich quick schemes. I was getting more, more people who started marketplaces than them, which is saying something. Um, but I digress. I digress. Jesse, you're here to share your insight into the world of marketplaces, which you kind of totally consumed in. You spend your time helping people work out what their marketplace strategy should be and how to do it well. So 
We framed up this episode as marketplaces as a customer acquisition strategy. So I guess the first thing, just to be really clear on this, is should people approach marketplaces as their customer acquisition strategy or should they go to marketplaces because marketplaces and all it entails is a good way for them to grow their business but if they want to make the most of it they want to f- recruit new customers to the brand to their own site then there are key things to do I realize that's quite a long-winded um, question but does that make sense it does and I think the simple answer is both or yes mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> something that a lot of marketplace focused sellers very quickly get stuck in is an what I call a bit of an Amazon rut where you will spend a lot of your time and resources focusing on the Amazon aspect of your business. And you'll quickly get to a point where you realize, that, where you realize maybe Amazon is responsible for 80, 90% of your business turnover. Now, Amazon's obviously a great place to get that turnover. We can debate whether it's profitable or ethical or, or what have you until the cows come home, but it's a good place to grow um, or to grow your sales. It's not a very good position to be in when you're entirely reliant on one source for your income. Now, whether it's Amazon in one country or Amazon EU or Amazon around the world, you've really got your eggs in one basket there. And generally speaking, if you do one thing wrong, you can get an account suspended. That might be the difference of you know six weeks of not getting any proceeds paid out from your sales. And that can have very disastrous consequences on, on a business. So it's a good opportunity, but it shouldn't be the only thing that you're as a as a online business that you should be relying on. Yeah, and it's not we're not saying that if you're going, oh, my Facebook ad sales are down, let's go do a marketplace to make it up. Mm. It's not that simple because it isn't it isn't a true marketing method. It is a very different business strategy, isn't it? Absolutely. Um marketplaces in general, regardless of Amazon uh, or, or Zalando or eBay or anything else, marketplaces tend to work with a bit of a spiral um, in the sense that if you make a mistake or if you get a few things wrong, it's a really slippery slope and you will kind of plummet and it can be very, very hard to get back up. On the other end of that, on the other side of that coin, as you grow and as you do well and as you perform well and you get your products sent to the consumers quickly and you consistently responding to customer service inquiries on time and you've got well-priced items, these are all factors that play into the algorithm that most marketplaces will begin to rank your items. We always hear about ranking on, on Google. Marketplace algorithms are a little bit different in the sense that it's a lot more success-based, so it tends not to matter as much. And of course, it's still important what content you put in a product listing, but it's a lot more success-based. So if you perform well on a marketplace, the marketplace rewards you for doing so. In particular, obviously Amazon with Bezos's flywheel approach where it's all very customer-centric, but most marketplace algorithms are built around that to some extent. I mean, the good thing about selling on marketplaces is they want you to sell more stuff. They're there to help you sell more stuff. So the algorithm is not is nowhere near as big a mystery as it is on Google or, or other platforms, but... At the same time, the fundamental is the more you sell, the more you sell. And like you said, I've never heard it called a, you know, a spiral before, but it makes total sense. If you don't come out the gates running, you might miss your opportunity because there, there is quite a heavy weighting towards the launch moment, isn't there, on, a, on some of the marketplaces. That's exactly it. And I think what you see quite often with, with a lot of marketplaces is, and especially with newer marketplace sellers, is they'll, they'll have like 
the first three or four weeks, they'll suddenly sell out on everything. And they're like, yeah, they're great. Uh, this is obviously a success. I've sold everything. The problem is that marketplaces generally don't like it when you go out of stock because they want to know that they can consistently show your product to, to buyers. So if you're suddenly selling loads and then you're out of stock and you can't get more stock in for six months, that wasn't a very good go-to-market place strategy. Um, it, you know, you really need to make sure that you've got enough stock to continually be selling over time and, and the marketplace will reward you for that high performance. Yeah, consistency of stock is so important because it's it is another one of those ways where if you you suddenly run out of stock, you hit you go down that spiral again and it's very hard to climb up yeah. again because someone else will take your place. Um so we're not here specifically to talk about the algorithm, we're here to talk about customer acquisition potential. So what whether we're talking about, you know, getting someone buying on the marketplace and coming back to our own website to buy for the second time, or whether we're talking about simply building sales by getting new people to be buying our products via marketplaces. What's our first step to maximize the potential of us growing our brand reach, our number of units shipped, our number of customers um, via marketplaces? I think you answered part of that question in, in the in the first sentence the oh. with the responsibility it, it's important to remember who's responsible for for what where you're selling so on your own website you're the one that's responsible for getting traffic to your website you're, you need to make sure that whether it's Facebook or, or whatever kind of advertising you're doing is getting new and previous buyers back to your website with a marketplace you don't need to do that the traffic's already there so it's instead a case of figuring out how are you going to stand out from your competitors because that one water bottle that you're well known for selling well, um, suddenly there's a lot of other water bottles in that same marketplace and you've got to set yourself apart somehow. And that's different with every marketplace. Now, obviously you have pay-per-click options. Every marketplace has different options for how you can spend a little bit of your money to try and boost your listing, whether it's you know, pay-per-click advertising or whether it's sponsored headers and, and banner advertising and things like that. That's obviously different per channel. Um, but the idea with, with marketplaces in general is to really understand for this particular channel, what options are there for you and how do you take advantage of them? So I guess, Jesse, part of that comes back to, you know, taking your water bottles example. If we list a water bottle on Amazon, there's a huge number of other water bottles on there and it's a really competitive marketplace. But if we find maybe our, our bottle is vegan in some way, I don't know how a water bottle becomes vegan, but we'll say the water bottle's vegan and we find a marketplace that's, that's putting forth vegan products mm -hmm. and they only have one other water bottle on there, then that would make, seems to me, would be a better marketplace to go to or a hiking marketplace that doesn't have many water bottles or something. So do we need to... Is there potentially more potential uh, in choosing a off-the-beaten-track marketplace rather than going straight to Amazon on day one? There can be. Obviously, it depends on what that marketplace is because even you might find a marketplace where you're the only water bottle on the entire marketplace. But if that marketplace is brand new and no one's ever heard of it, 100% of nothing is still nothing. Mm -hmm. However... The nice thing about the diversification of, of marketplaces, and especially now, you know, you said marketplaces have changed a lot in the last three years. I think one of those biggest changes is that there are more marketplaces popping up than ever. You've got brand new, you know, you've got the you've got startups, brand new companies becoming marketplaces, but you've also got established brick and mortar 
players, brands or retail stores that everyone knows from the high street are now also looking at the marketplace model because for them, it's an easy way to increase their product range. And if you can go to a marketplace that's trying to grow their marketplace business, you'll often find that there's a lot more options of support for you as a seller from the marketplace team. You know, if you try and talk to someone at Amazon, getting someone from seller support to help you is, is you know, it's like skinning, it's it's like getting blood from a stone. So I'm trying to think of my idioms there. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's a bit like um, a couple of weeks ago here in the UK, there was a big event run by our international trade board, Walmart, and I think Linworks, it wasn't Linworks, apologies to whoever I've just referred to as Linworks, um, who were doing a whole selling on Walmart thing to encourage more British brands to list on Walmart, which has been, which we did a, a podcast episode on my other podcast beginning of the year about the fact that was a bit of an, a, a big blue ocean if you could jump through the hoops. And obviously, unfortunately, the barriers of entry have just come down a bit because they've just run a massive event in the UK to try and get more sellers on. But that, as you're saying, there's there's less competition on there and they are very, very eager to help you. So they will help you. They, they're less likely to ban you and not talk to you for six weeks. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess how we choose, choosing the right marketplace to go to is, is crucial. And it sounds like that's as much about the competitiveness, the focus of the marketplace and their customer volume as anything else. So those are the, the three key things. Yeah. So there's definitely the sort of the marketplaces that have their own niche, but there's also good generalized marketplaces that are just trying to grow um, and generally will do what they can to encourage new sellers because they understand that without having a good product range, they're not going to get the buyers that they need. So then it's a bit of a tit for tat in the sense that they want to offer your products because it helps them attract more buyers for all of their categories. And so quite often with these growing marketplaces, you'll find that they'll do a lot of the work on your behalf or they'll promote your listings or they'll you know pay for Google ads for the marketplace, um, whatever it might be, depending on what's particularly relevant to that business, um, they will try and help you sell more. And that's the benefit of a marketplace is that it is a shared revenue model. So they want you to succeed. And you bring us nicely back to what I stopped you from talking about earlier, which is um, one of the things about when we found a marketplace we want to list on, it's worth spending some time working out how that marketplace works and what opportunities we can take advantage of to do well on it, rather than just list on 20 marketplaces and hope, isn't it? There are, it, It's worth building and understanding each marketplace as we go and understanding how to optimise the sales. Yeah, so there's there's definitely a lot to look at in terms of the different channels, but it can be it can be simple things like understanding wh- what the rules are for a different marketplace from a fulfillment or a logistics perspective. Uh, you know, it's, it's quite common knowledge that you're not supposed to put branded items or you're not supposed to put any kind of customer communication stuff in a box that's going to go to an Amazon buyer. But most other marketplaces don't have that restriction, um, and of course, there's some sellers choose to do that anyway and have a lot of success on it and, and Amazon never checks up on it. Sometimes Amazon checks up on it and they uh, suspend your account and that's then the risk that that particular seller wants to take. But many marketplaces say, yeah, go for it, communicate, um, you know, put, put your special offers in the box, put, you know, try and get people to come back to your site if you want to, or they just don't care um, because they realize that that can be a barrier for entry. The thing is as well, the thing that I always encourage people to remember is that the marketplace, often most marketplaces that aren't Amazon are trying to get you as a seller to sell on their marketplace. 
they know that there are barriers to entry. They know they're not Amazon. So they are quite often happy to concede on a lot of these sort of smaller things to give you as many wins along the way as you can, because their goal is to simply have a, a higher number of SKUs available on their product on, on their product pages, because they know that that's what's going to get traffic for them. So yeah, they're generally a lot more flexible. So if you want them to be coming back to your website, to sign up for your emails and to buy from you directly, make sure you're putting a flyer in the parcel when you're allowed to, but do check the T's and C's. That's what we're saying. Yeah. And the another important thing to do is to to understand the data you're plugging in. You are our product data specialist um, here, Jesse. And it's it's something a lot of brands, I've seen brands list on a marketplace saying, I can't find our products anywhere. Well, that's because you were using Aquamarine and they need it to be called green. So there's a whole load of uh, kind of feed tidying and or feed massaging, I suppose, to get it fit to give the marketplace's algorithm the best chance of understanding your products and listing your products. Does that vary greatly from marketplace to marketplace? Or once you've got a feed for one, is it quite easy for the others? It's impossible to use it for, for the others. Um, <laughs> honestly, you can't even use the same feed between Amazon, for example, Amazon UK clothing versus shoes. It's completely different information. Um, Amazon UK clothing versus Amazon Germany clothing is completely different. This is before you even begin looking at um, Amazon versus eBay versus Walmart. So every marketplace, every category, every subcategory, right down to, I mean, on Amazon, it's the feed product type. Um, so the difference between if you're selling socks or, or trousers, you have completely different requirements, but there's also, it's not just about the amount of data that you can provide in the feed, because sometimes you might have to provide hundreds of columns of data, but it's also about what's actually in that data. So as you said, the difference between green versus aquamarine, um, you know, it can be the case that for men's shoes, you're allowed to use gray as a color and for women's shoes you can use silver but then the problem the biggest problem is that the marketplaces change these rules all the time so it might be that three weeks after you've created the listing ebay says hey you know what actually you should be able to have silver we'll add that as a value now and you can add that and so if you're not then able to add that value quickly you're going to fall out of the search results as soon as a buyer applies a filter for a silver pair of shoes and i guess one of the other things with all of that is and another thing which I've seen retailers do is they spend an awful lot of time working on feed number one and then mm -hmm. the new autumn products go live and no one bothers. And so, you know, you end up with these this declining sales because the only products you ever actually put in the correct format for that marketplace were the ones you went live with. So therefore the rest of them just end up falling through the cracks. So it's, it's an ongoing job, isn't it? It's a constant tweaking and optimizing of the data just to get just to be on at the table, I suppose. For sure. And it's it's really a case of what, as well of whether or not you're, whether you're the brand or the retailer that's selling the product. Because from the brand perspective, you generally have a lot more say. This is more for Amazon, but you have a lot more say about how your product listings are allowed to look compared to if you're a retailer that happens to be selling that same product as the brand. With other marketplaces, for example, with eBay, everyone can create a product page, whether you're a brand or a retailer. So then you can have retailers putting in more effort to, uh, and performing better on eBay than the brand themselves might be, um, simply because they're, they're putting in more time and effort to get all of the item specifics in for that particular product. But as you say, if you do that over hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of products across multiple marketplaces in multiple language uh, languages, it, it becomes very hard to sort of maintain a, a process that works over time. 
it, it comes back to um to something we were talking about before we hit record, which is each marketplace is almost a separate business model, and you have to be putting in all the effort if you want to reap the rewards, learning the SEO factors for that, learning the product feed information or the product data information, learning the additional marketing methods, whether it's ads, whether it's emails. I read about one marketplace where it's worth for the first few days after you list, and sorry, everyone, I can't remember which marketplace this was, but it's worth for like the first week or so after you list, driving your own email marketing traffic to that marketplace to bump up the sales because then you'll win in the algorithm for ages. So there's all these kind of tips and tricks to learn and strategies for success to learn. So uh, it's certainly not a case where we should be going, um, oh, we've got an intern, let's list on three marketplaces overnight and put all our products on there and it will all be wicked. Is it? Definitely not. And I think it's even on the other end of that scale, even if you've got an Amazon expert in-house, that person's probably going to be more of a hindrance than a help when it comes to selling on the next marketplace. Because in effect, you have to forget everything you know about selling on Amazon before you can start selling on eBay. They're completely different beasts. Uh, And obviously, we're we're still falling into the old habit here of just throwing around the big names like Amazon and eBay. But uh, a point I really can't stress enough is that in every niche there are so many marketplaces that pop up, whether it's startups like Avocado Store in, in Germany or, or Greener in the UK and VO World in the UK. And um, the, honestly, there's, there's too many to list, but yeah, it's not just Amazon and eBay for sure. And it's really a case of finding the marketplace that is already home to your ideal buyers and then figuring out how, how can you start selling your products on there. Excellent, Jesse. Well, I think that's a good moment for us to pause for a reminder of the sponsors before we go on to talk about the wider world of marketplaces. This podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the email and SMS platform built just for e-commerce brands. If you're marketing an e-commerce brand, you already know that data changes everything. More data means more power. And if your email or SMS tools can't handle all that data, they're probably holding you back. That's where Klaviyo comes in. Its top-notch personalization and segmentation help you send the right message at the right time, guided by unlimited real-time data from your online Online store and tech stack. Request a demo at klaviyo.com forward slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. Okay, Jesse, so far we've gone deep into using our marketplaces for that customer acquisition, that tantalizing customer acquisition aim. Now you get to wow us with your insider knowledge about the whole of marketplaces. So for the following questions, your answer can be anything to do with marketplaces, which unsurprisingly does include everything we've already been talking about. So Jesse, you ready for these? Go for it. Okay, let's start with newbie advice. If we've inspired someone to take their very first step into the world of marketplaces, what do they need to know to give themselves the best chance of success? We we talked about uh, stock, so I won't go, that would be a big one for me. But I think one of the most important things is having granular product data. This sounds really dull, I realize, Um, but you'd be amazed how often we talk to sellers who have only ever sold on their own website and for example they don't even have a, they don't even have SKUs or they don't even have uh, you know really basic information about their products or their EANs were taken off the back of a coffee packet in the uh, in the kitchen because what's GS1 who needs that you know um, <laughs> so there's a lot of really basic product data things that somebody needs to get in place first and 
I always encourage people to make it as granular as possible. So you don't want to have your color in your title. You need to have a separate value that says color and you need to be prepared for the idea of, you know, when you're wanting to call it royal blue, you might need to uh, accept the fact that you have to call it dark blue or even just blue on a particular marketplace, even if that's inconsistent with your general branding strategies. You might need to think about how can you separate out your product data. And it might be things like if you're selling shoes, you don't just want to have leather. You might need to have inner, outer, top, bottom materials. Um, and this is all information that different marketplaces might want from you in different ways. So you need to be prepared to potentially have lots and lots of information about your products. And granular is the key word there. <laughs> yeah. And if you put the effort in at the beginning, it will make your performance on marketplace one so much easier to, to grow and it will then make marketplace two when you're ready for that so much easier as well. So I heartily um, back that up. Jesse, you wanted to come with something else? I was going to say, and it adds, uh, doing that at the beginning is important, not just, uh, you're absolutely right that it makes it easier to add more marketplaces, but it also makes it a lot easier to add more products. So as you start going from 10 to 50 to 100 to potentially thousands of SKUs, if you've already got that process in place for creating granular data, that's going to make your life a lot easier than if you have to go back and clean up all of your old data from over the years and make sure that you don't just keep it somewhere online. Like you want to have a, you want to have that data somewhere outside of any particular channel. That's your data, whether it's an Excel spreadsheet or a Google sheet or, or a PIM system or something that's not just in the back end of seller central or the back end of Shopify, because at some point you need to have that data in your hands so that you can use it for something. Yeah. And you, you alluded to something that I think we'll just make really clear here, which is you don't have to put all your products live on day one. No, You could just take your 10 best sellers or the 10 products that people usually buy when they come to your brand or the 20 or the 30. You can start and do it there with just those, that handful. So it doesn't feel so overwhelming as well. Um, right. Now, once you've started, of course, you've got to keep optimizing. So what's your favorite way to improve performance? I, we talked about this a little bit before. Uh, I'll go over it again. And that would be attributes and item specifics. With most marketplaces, you can generally provide sometimes hundreds of columns of data. If anyone's ever looked at an Amazon flat file, you'll have a bit of an idea of all the potential fields that you could provide. And what most sellers do is they'll just put the bare minimum in to get the items live. And that's fine, but the idea there is that every single piece of information that you can provide to a marketplace about your products, you should. Because the more the marketplace algorithm knows about your product, the better it or the, the better it will be able to suggest your product to suitable buyers. And of course, in on top of filling in this information, it's obviously then important to stay up to date because when a marketplace changes the valid values, maybe they say, okay, yep, now you can also call these men's shoes silver. You also want to make sure that you are adding that information before your competitors do. There we go, guys. Fill out all the details, feed that algorithm. Um, now, if someone listening wants to learn more, is there one cheap or free resource you would recommend? Only one? I can probably give you a few. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll take a few. Um, 
can I give you a shameless self plug? We've got a couple of resources on our website. Um, we've got we've got two on our website. One that's just a guide for selling on marketplaces. So it's kind of a uh, a short guidebook which has all of the ducks that you've got to have in a row before you start selling on marketplaces. So it talks about like technology, um, logistics, customer service, translations, legal payments, all of that sort of stuff to make sure that you can kind of go through and tick everything off before you start selling. We've also got a a, a marketplace database. It's not completely finished yet. We're, we're I mean, it will probably never be finished realistically, but we're we're trying to add as much information about relevant marketplaces for people to understand what's involved with selling on this channel. Do I need to have a German business entity? Do I have to have my images in a particular format? Do I? How often are they going to pay me out the proceeds of my sales? These sorts of things that aren't always clear when you're just looking at top marketplaces in Europe or something like that. Oh, nice. And what, what's the website address, please, for those two? Our website is ecomelion.com. So it's ecom, like e-commerce, Elion, E-L-E-O-N. Dot com. Yep. Okay, cool. And do you have any other? Um, the other thing I would suggest that I was thinking of is that it's always useful to search for any kind of resources that are dedicated towards what's called private label sellers. So private label is another sort of trend that came out in the last few years. And this is generally what people refer to as D2C, but for Amazon only brands. So these will be businesses that will have the same yoga mat, the same skipping rope, the same water bottle produced as their competitors. And it's exactly the same product with different branding. And their entire focus is on how do I get more of these products sold on Amazon than the other guy that's got the exact same product with a different logo. And there is so many resources out there, so many YouTube courses, so many, so much free content specifically for private label sellers. And it's a great way for more traditional retailers and brands to kind of understand how these, um, it's like it's your typical digital nomad businesses, uh, how they are actually doing Amazon because they, they know how to do it well. I love that. Go search for resources for private label sellers if you really want your mind blown on what is the potential of a marketplace can be. Um, finally, Jesse, it's crystal ball time. What's coming up in the next six to 12 months that we should be getting ready for? I think what we're going to see is more retailers, more traditional retailers becoming marketplaces. We're seeing it a lot with, for example, B&Q, um, Media Markt in, in Germany, which is like the German version of Currys. Uh, there's lots of these very traditional brick and mortar stores that everyone knows from the high street. They're becoming marketplaces. And it's sort of an obvious place to go. It's like they, they're kind of the next Amazon without having to put in any effort on that particular regard, they get to just be like, okay, cool. You can also, you can also offer your products here now. Uh, Decathlon as well is another great example in the UK. They're going to be, some are going to be hit and miss, but the thing is they're becoming marketplaces. They're generally doing it with good technology. So it's usually not too hard to get the listings active and all of the same rules apply that I spoke about before. They're trying to grow this marketplace side of the business. So when you get in early, they're going to be promoting your product like crazy. They're going to be trying to get it out to their existing customer base, which for a B&Q or a Decathlon is probably pretty big. So you can really get your product out to a much bigger uh, audience. And I think we're going to see a lot more traditional retailers opening the door to their previous competition. Yeah, and we've even seen them... Um tiny retailer or smaller retailers do it like Gerald's department store in Norwich a very localized building who building uh 
business who've who've added a marketplace section for local artisans so it's happening at all levels throughout the e-commerce stack it's, it's a great great crystal ball tip um okay jesse we are very nearly at the end of the show so it's time to let the listeners know more about you and your business please so as I mentioned, I was previously working at an agency which was focused on helping retailers to expand internationally via marketplaces. And what we now sell as eChameleon, the software, actually began as an internal software at this agency. And what we used to use it for was to prepare product data specifically for marketplaces, um, obviously with things like translation and, and channel-specific optimization. We would do all of that on behalf of our customers which they would then list in the marketplaces directly. But we're now at the point where we've got a full, fully-fledged PIM system specifically for marketplaces with that product specialization or the product content specialization at the forefront. Very nice. And if someone wants to um, wants to start using your software and getting in touch about it, obviously they, they can go and check out uh, that amazing database you've built and your guide to selling on marketplaces. But if they want to come along and, and actually start using eChameleon, where do they go and how do they do that? Uh, they can get in touch with me either on, on, on LinkedIn or they can reach out through our website, which is eChameleon.com. Um, again, it's ecom like e-commerce, Elion. The idea is that uh, marketplaces are complex and eChameleon adapts so that you don't have to. Very nice. Good name too. I do like the name <laughs> and the logo. Worth going to the website just to check out the logo, guys. And then going and get those downloads and then get in contact with Jesse. Um, Jesse, thank you so much for being on the Keep Optimizing podcast today. It's been excellent exploring how to go about growing yourself with marketplaces. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for inviting me. This is about growing sales, not necessarily your own email list. And key things, I think, from this is there's a huge scope for growing sales and for actually for managing to get customers back to your site if you use those tips around putting something in the parcel when you're allowed to do it. But the key thing here is that you need to do select your marketplace carefully do and do one at a time because getting that bedrock of the correct product data in place is crucial or you're just not going to appear. Uh, and then learning how to, to game that marketplace. Should you be doing ads? Should you be looking at getting the SEO right on the page, improving the images? What is it that it takes to be successful on that specific marketplace? And once you've got it working well, remember to do it for your new products as they come online and don't go out of stock. Pretty simple. Um, and then once, you, once you've got that one fully sorted, then it can be time to go and explore another one. But lots of opportunity there, but access with care. Uh, you can get links to everything we've just been discussing, the full transcript of the episode, important notes and more at keepoptimizing.com. Or you can use our new special director episode links. Just go to keepopt.com forward slash episode number and you'll go straight to the right page on the website. Once you get to the website, ha ha ha, you can also add yourself to our email list so you don't miss out on any of the other things I share to help you improve your business. There you can also sign up to our monthly Q&A webinar. So yes, if this episode has given you more questions than answers, don't worry, you can come and ask them in our Q&A session. It's your chance to get your questions answered with each of our marketplace specialists. So just head to keepoptimizing.com to find out all those details. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Keep Optimising podcast. If you've enjoyed it and want to continue learning about marketplaces right now, then scroll back up your feed to episodes 54 to 57, because last year we did a full four episodes on marketplaces, each covering a different aspect and making it work for your store, including one episode on why you should use marketplaces even and one on why you shouldn't. Nice and controversial. You can find all our marketplace tips on the Keep Optimising website. Just hover over topics and pick marketplaces. Surprise, surprise. And please do spread the word because we are creating this to help as many of you as possible improve your performance. We've got two more episodes about marketplaces coming up this month, including lots of great Amazon tips. Have a great week and make sure you listen to the next episode so I can help you to keep optimising your marketing. Access everything Keep Optimizing at keepoptimizing.com. That's with an S, not a Z.